This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes, as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking to Alex Colvin, the founder and CEO of Pendula. Pendula is an Australian scale-up organisation that has built the world's first proactive customer retention platform. In the episode, we discuss the importance to business success of having a defined customer retention strategy. You'll learn the different strategies you can put in place to retain more customers, the importance of communicating to your customer at the right time, and how you can leverage existing customers to grow your business. Let's jump in. Alex, thank you for joining me on the show today. Good to be here, Seven. I'm really looking forward to the chat. But before we dive into your company, Pendula, can you tell us a little bit about you and your business journey that led you to where you are today? Sure. So my background is like many founders. It's riddled with lots of broad experience across lots of different industries. I certainly wasn't a founder that went through an industry and didn't experience a pain. I certainly found that pain and that has led to Pendula. My early days started as a management consultant, interestingly enough, in Sydney Ferries, privatizing them and working with the government for Bearing Point. Then it went chapter 11. So the journey got very colorful for me then. I then worked with a few tech companies in San Francisco for a few years, specifically did a lot of work with a subscription billing platform called Zura. And that's actually where the kind of the aha moment for Pendula came from. What we were doing in that business was starting to engage with subscribers. They were kind of the forefront of the subscription economy, focused on the billing and product enablement side of the world, not really on the customer experience side. I know we're going to get into what Pendula does in a little bit, but that was kind of the genesis that set through there. I'm not a technical person. I can functionally design something, but the second that the codes comes out, I'm completely at a loss. But really, you know, a core of my experience has been focused on both management consulting and pre-sales. Put those two things together, add a little bit of accounting from a university and you've got a founder of a software business there. Sounds great. I think I need to do a little bit more than accounting to find a tech business. So for those that haven't heard of your company, Pendula, tell us about it. What does it do? And yeah, what problem does it solve? So Pendula is an Australian-based software business. We've been around for a little bit over five years now. We had the anniversary kickover a few weeks ago. We've raised about $11 million from local venture funds, both EVP and MA Financial and a whole bunch of other fantastic individuals who have backed us on our journey. As part of it, offices Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, predominant engineering team is in Brisbane, sales, marketing, customer delivery is really Sydney and Melbourne. And what we really focus on is a pretty exciting use case that a lot of businesses are really focusing on now, particularly with the downturn that is ahead of us. And that is customer retention. And what we try and do is turn all these reactive activities that businesses are doing historically to save their customers from leaving them and make it proactive. And the technology we have is really triggering off all of these moments that you have whenever you're a customer, you know, you sign up, 
you start using a product, you get your hands on the box for the first time, you plug in your device, you log in for the first time to a new service, your mobile phone is connected to whenever you have problems, to when you upgrade, all of these are life cycle stages. Now, the way that we view customer retention, every single moment in that life cycle is one where you can kind of reinforce the value that you're delivering to your customers. And ultimately, if your customers are realizing the value that you're providing them, the caveat there is that you need to provide something valuable. Yeah. <laughs> if you can do that and your customer knows that they're receiving that value, they should stick around for longer and they should also spend more. Now, our focus, I know we've got a lot of people in the audience today that are you know, more in the SME space. Our customer is fairly focused bunch right now. We have four categories that our customers sit in. We love our telecommunications companies, got some great coverage within the Australian ecosystem, particularly the Optus ecosystem, every single NVNO that exists under their brand. So everything from a Mason to Boost to Coles Mobile, Catch of the Day Mobile, there's about 15 of them. The kind of the list goes on. From an energy perspective is another one of our industries that we really love, really competitive space. People are trying to hang on to their customers ever so dearly considering how saturated the market is that exists. And we've got almost 70% of the market covered with the likes of Origin Energy, Energy Australia, using the platform to engage with their customers, not only when they move house, but all throughout their journey to make sure they realize all the benefits they have and also upselling to other products like solar, like LPG, better networks, electric vehicles, all those new energy products that are out there. We love our software base. So we white label our product into other platforms, which is a really interesting take on how you can take technology and scale it in a fairly cheap and efficient manner. So we have businesses like ReadyTech using Pendula across all of their education businesses. They've got a few thousand customers, everything from registered trainee organizations to TAFEs. We have other platforms like Lumery, which is a NDIS management platform. They've got several hundred customers all using Pendula to communicate with clients about using their NDIS funding, getting their services coordinated, all of that. And then the final one, which is probably more relevant to, to what we do is we have an ecosystem play that sits within ecosystems like Salesforce. And that one there is very broad. Lots of SMEs in that category, everything from small charities to property businesses, everything from a real estate agent to property management businesses, to car rental agencies, to wildlife protection services, to cancer quitting hotlines, sorry, <laughs> uh, smoking quitting hotlines. Our customer base today is now generating enough communications that we're communicating on a monthly basis with about 65% of the Australian population every month. The likelihood that someone here has received a text message, an email, a WhatsApp, whatever it would be from us is pretty high. Wow. I'm sure I got one of those messages. Depending on the electricity and the telecom, I probably did get one of those messages. So that's unbelievable. 65% of the Australian population most likely got communication through the Pendula technology. I mean, that, that's all thanks to our customers, obviously. We're not the ones uh, just blasting out messages for no reason. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of really supportive customers that are sitting behind us and our technology and our brand to make those kind of numbers happen. So what sets Pendula apart from the others in the market? Or are there even others that play in this market? Of course there are. There's always a famous saying that any business that claims to be unique is either kidding themselves or just not aware of the competition that's around them. But we certainly have competitors in our space. If you think about what our technology is under the covers, we're really specialists in applying this technology that we have to focus on those proactive retention use cases. But if you wind back the IP that sits 
on the application of the software, you really have two basic components, albeit in their own atomic sense, they're very, very complicated bits of technology. The first one is a workflow platform. And workflow platforms are something that is a fantastic thing to build. It's an excellent computer science challenge. It's all about scale. It's all about flexibility. It's all about anticipating how someone might use it. And these are use cases that can go from turning people's air conditioners down on a hot day to save energy consumption to dispatching the closest volunteer to pick up an injured wildlife animal in Victoria to raising funds for a charity to reminding someone to pay their bill to updating a credit card detail to stop a churn from happening or providing an upsell for someone who's hit their data limit in a telco. Now, those workflows that exist within that, there are lots of workflow tools that are out there. There are ones that are very complicated that are focused on the enterprise end of town, which their core positioning and market is normally around their flexibility and working between different platforms. So a great example of that is Millsoft really substantial tool that works within that. On the other end of the spectrum, the other core components of Pendula is a communication platform. And this is uh, has a few layers to it. So the first layer is the channels you communicate. We try and normalize these because there's all this channel hopping that happens. Facebook was cool 10 years ago. Now the next one's Instagram, then it goes to Snapchat. Or it's about being able to be flexible and nimble enough that you can iterate to that next channel. Now, if you can have a normalized channel layer and then you can layer it down to a context and intention platform, understanding what someone wants to do in relation to something. So for example, would you like to upgrade to your mobile phone plan? If you said, yes, I do. Well, what is it about? So what's the context? The context is Savan's on a, a Mason $29 a month plan and we're offering him a $10 upgrade to get onto the $39 a month plan. The context is what is his subscription? What's that ID? What systems it's sitting in? What is this offer? What is that product code that is associated to that? The context associated to that is the question that we asked him and that he said yes. So the context is that he wants to upgrade his subscription from one to another with that intent. And ultimately, if you layer a communication platform like that, there are players out there. So great examples of ones that are more significant and have fairly wide brand awareness. Companies like Twilio or Braze really driven that communication channel really far forward. We like to think of ourselves kind of like a spaceship. I hate using this analogy because every technology is <laughs> people something space in some way or form. They're shooting for the stars or whatever it would be. But it is a good analogy for the purpose of describing how a platform is unique. And if you distill the individual parts of a spaceship, there's not much innovation that's actually going on. There's nuts and bolts in there. There's valves, there's screws, there's bits of sheet metal. Those individual components as kind of atomic beans do not require a lot of innovation and they're not unique. But when you assemble them into one combined unit, they suddenly become very valuable. I mean, this is kind of like one-on-one -on -one economics, right? When you would take a worker and apply them to some raw materials and then you would create a more valuable resource. We've done that, but with technology. We've actually built it ourselves because we had to for the complexity of making them work together. But we've taken a very flexible workflow engine and plugged it into a very flexible communication platform, creating effectively a tool that can both communicate with the outside world being at consumers and communicate with the system sitting in a business. And it's set up there. So competitors are certainly there. The trick for us to ensure that customers are picking us instead of other solutions is one, making sure that they understand that it's better to buy one solution instead of two. That's the first comment there. But 
Really, our value is how you use the tools. We've got a room full of retention experts in Sydney and Melbourne and in Brisbane that are there willing to help all of our customers that are, you know, at a phone call away or, you know, actually we're finally getting into a few of our customers' offices now, which is great to be able to see them face-to-face. But applying the knowledge that we've had from all of these interactions, all of the behaviours that we've observed from the millions of interactions that have happened to date have given us a really unique position within the market to help businesses realise how they can really evolve, not only how they view core retention metrics, but also how they should approach it from an overarching methodology perspective. I wanted to touch on the communication that you focus on because there's obviously email, phone call, face-to-face meetings, but the one you focus a lot on is the text side, isn't it? Really depending on, on what geography you're in. In Australia, that's certainly true. The key thing comes down to interaction. What are we trying to do here? We're trying to demonstrate value and get a feedback loop from a customer. We want to ask them about how their service is and how we can help them. And then we want to give them offers or help them by providing them access to either services or people within the providers that we're assisting, allowing them to get those things. So what the communication platform does, it's it's an interface to the customer. We don't want our customer to download an app or go to a website and find a phone number and call it because it's just not natural, right? They, they don't do that with their own friends and their own families. So why should they do it for a business that they're paying money to get their service, right? Yeah. <laughs> Within Australia, the two channels and, you know, you can just reflect on it yourself, right? You know, when you interact with your friends and family, SMS is probably up there in the top two and email is up there in the top five. Phone calls are definitely up there, but people don't like phone calls as much from businesses as they do from their families or friends. As a result, within the Australian market, which is probably the more focus of the audience listening today, SMS and email really are the most powerful channels for what we're trying to do. That is because of their engagement rates, their interaction rates, the read rates that sit beneath them, and the relative cost effectiveness of engaging on those channels. I was just thinking about that when you said people are less likely for the phone side, I'm negative towards phone calls when I don't know who the provider is, or you can tell straight away they're trying to sell you something, but you don't know who they are. Mm. However, if I got a phone call from an existing supplier, so let's say, for example, with Telstra, they ring me and say, hi, Savan, calling from Telstra. I'm already a customer of Telstra. And and they say, look, there's an excellent offer to all our existing customers. I'm listening. And I'm listening straight away. So I think there's a value in the phone call. But again, like you said, it's not as scalable. It's not as cost effective. And communicating via text and email may actually weed out the ones that actually want that service or the upgrade or the thing that they need solved. So I definitely think customers have to communicate with their existing customers to ensure that retention piece, that upsell piece happens. Because if you don't hear from your supplier or the person you're dealing with for such a long time, then all of a sudden you want to get an upgrade done. It's like, oh, you want to call me only when you want to sell me something. So I do like that interaction and so on. But we all know sales is obviously the lifeblood of businesses, but I feel like customer retention is much less talked about. When you do searches online around sales and marketing, you find thousands of stuff about all the gurus telling you how you can get a new customer and all the rest of it. But less is talked about 
around customer retention. And that's something that you guys focus on. That's what you do. You eat and breathe it. Can you just tell our audience and maybe articulate in your words as the expert, how crucial it is for a small business and their revenue, why customer retention is so important? The key thing here is everything in a business is interconnected. We're sitting here talking uh, from a perspective of selling and retention, but these are aligned up to your financial statements. They're aligned up to your product that you're building or the service you're providing or the customer support that you have in your business. Let's take a step back and talk about how you sell to someone in the first instance. The first customer you sell to is not going to be the hundredth customer you sell to. And the reason that is almost always the case is because you learn from your customers what service you should provide or what product you should provide, and you'll iterate based on it. I mean, it's classic. It's the, how do you make a great product or a great service? Well, it's to get the feedback from the people who are paying for it and then provide them what they want. Yeah. (laughs) Forgetting about all the benefits of keeping your customers from a revenue perspective, what customer retention actually does in its first instance, and it will help you sell so much more and so much better because it will give you the answers to your product market fit. Now, most small businesses out there miss this because they're sitting in environments, they might be running an accounting business, they might be running a law firm, they might be running a residential property management company, they might be running a cleaning service. Now, all of those businesses are established on product market fit. At least that's what the founders believe. People don't wake up in the morning and go, aha, I'm going to start an accounting practice because I just have this feeling that there's a need for people to understand what their accounts are. (laughs) When someone starts an accounting business, they know for a fact that almost entirely every single business on this planet, other than other accounting firms, requires external (laughs) accounting advice. That is true. (laughs) When you're a small and medium business and you're starting a company or you're running it and you're trying to scale it, Most people make this big mistake that they think that they have product market fit, even though they don't. What they're doing is fitting into a mold of an industry and believing that if they are nicer or more prompt, that is enough. And in some instances, it actually is, which is, there's a whole nother day's worth of conversation about that. But what the best companies do and the ones that go from small business to big business, and let's just kind of take a pause back. Pretty much every single big business in some way or form started as a small business. So some are doing it right. Some aren't doing it as right. Now, there are other reasons why you may not scale a business, but let's just put aside family and personal reasons and focus purely on the economics here. If you wanted to scale a medium and small business and make it into a large business, the only way you can do it, and it doesn't matter what sales trainer you talk to, what engineer you talk to, it doesn't matter who you talk to, there's only one way to do it, and that is to listen to your customers. Now, If your customers are not engaged and they don't care about you and they don't value your product, they're not going to give you very good feedback. That's not going to help you sell. You're going to be flying blind. All you're going to be doing is the same thing you were doing yesterday. So it means that your competitors are getting that extra day ahead of you. So what is retention actually about? Well, retention is about two things. The first thing it is about is customer lifetime value. This is an accounting perspective. Let's put aside and pause on that last thought around how retention empowers your sales engine. Let's talk about it just from an an economic perspective. So from a customer lifetime perspective, it's a really simple concept, right? It's basically at a high level, it's the amount of revenue you're making over how long they've been spending revenue with you. That's the ratio of customer lifetime value. Now, the way that you focus on customer lifetime value is ensuring that your customers spend for as long as possible and as much as possible. No one's going to complain with a customer like that. 
what it does is it turns your revenue gears in a way that it reduces your overarching cost because you're not acquiring a customer every single time you're drawing out an additional unit of revenue. Right? So if you have an existing customer and they're spending $100 today and you upsell them by $10, the CAC for that $10 isn't going to be anywhere near what the CAC was for the first 100 And it's really simple because you're not spending money for that person to understand who you are and what you do. So if you've ticked off those two boxes, all you've got to do next is tell them, well, what else can you do? Yeah. <laughs> Which is a poor conversation. It's a much cheaper conversation. So what that gives you is the opportunity to then turn a sale over for a cheaper amount. Now, if that is the case, you are massively incentivized to keep that base around as much as possible because each incremental dollar that you can wring out of a customer is going to be cheaper than the first and the second and the third and the fourth. So there's this phenomenal economy of scale that occurs on an individual customer basis when you continue to upsell them. Now you need to earn that right. And this is the challenge that really sits within a lot of businesses. The only way someone is going to spend more money with you, and let's put aside the exceptions because there always are some, but the only way that someone will spend more money with you is if they value what you're doing for them today. If they feel like they're getting ripped off today, they're not going to spend more money with you. So how do you do that? Well, it's all really simple. This is a value realization. This is something that most businesses forget. And I see this day to day and throughout every consumer purchase that I make personally. And that is when a business does good for its customers or customer, they never remind them and the customer quickly forgets the value that was provided. You know, it's tax time right now. There's a lot of pain that you guys are taking away from all all your customers, Zaban. And come September, everyone's going to forget about it. I agree with that 100%. Our listeners might be like, no, my customers never forget when I do great stuff. I can tell you that they do. And my listeners' audience is a fair few of them are my clients. You can save them thousands of dollars. You could cancel your personal trips or personal things to go out there on a weekend to solve a problem, I guarantee you, I always used to think they'll never forget, but they do. And that's the funny thing. Customers do forget the good stuff that you've done if you don't know or learn how to remind them. So tell us, how does it work? How do you remind them? It's really simple, right? You just need to tell them. (laughs) I love the example. So one of the best players in industry at retention are a Mason. For those who aren't familiar with a Mason, they're an Australian telco We've got about 1.2 million consumers that are signed up to their retail brand um, and they provide prepaid mobile phone plans and prepaid data plans. Pretty simple business structure. And there's a lot of those companies out there that are like them. There's the big three of Telstra, Vodafone and Optus. But then you've got a whole raft of other second tier brands that not second tier from a quality perspective, just second tier from a, a scale perspective. All these brands that are all providing the same thing. And what do they provide? Well, they provide you the ability to make a phone call, check your emails on your phone and send and receive text messages. I'm on a Mason personally. I'm not sure what you're on, Savannah. You could be on Telstra, but both of us can do the same thing. Now, what a Mason does, and it's so perfect, they will do favors for their customers all the time. And they've got this campaign that's that's focused on big love because they love their customers. They want to make sure that the customers know that. Periodic cycles, depending on how a customer is using the service, give them free things. So if you've used all your data for a month, you blasted through and you're about to hit overage. Mason will give you an extra two or three gigabytes of data as a freebie. No questions asked, no reason. You didn't complain. You didn't do anything. They just said, here's two gigabytes of data. It doesn't cost them anything. 
but they've given the customer something. Now, what they then do is they'll follow up them two weeks later and say, Savan, how is that data that I gave you? And then a few weeks later from that, you'll get your bill. Savan, here's your bill. We hope you really enjoyed the divider because don't forget, we gave you that data. A few months later, they'll give them another data, a little bit of data free. And they'll say, hey, just like last time, don't forget last time we gave you some data. We're going to give you some more data. We're building all this value because we care about you and we know what you do. Now, this doesn't have to be a lot if you're a property business, for instance. What is something that you could do to reiterate the value, right? It could be a free valuation. Now, most real estate agents, what they will do is they'll be your best friend until you settle on the house and you hand over all your money for your house that you've just paid for. <laughs> you won't hear from them for years because they've got in their mind, oh, this customer isn't going to transact for another four years on average. Yeah. So there's no point in me focusing any of my time on this person because if I do, I'm going to waste my energy on something that's not going to come off for four years. And it's so far in the future, it doesn't even matter. Now, if someone cottoned on to the fact that if you continue to realize value, it doesn't take a lot, four years to sell a house again, maybe that's one bottle of champagne every year on the anniversary of the house being purchased. But what you're doing is you're reminding that person of the value that you provided them and they won't forget. I'd kind of question if you're in your own shoes, if you'd received those four bottles of champagne and four years later, you decided to sell your house again, are you probably picking that same guy or girl that sold your house in the first instance, who's been giving you champagne every year for the last four years? 100%. Exactly right. 100%. Where the cost for you to do that is so negligible. You're sending out four bottles of champagne, you're in the hole $250, and you might go and receive a ten dollars or $20,000 commission check from that person in four years' time. Now, that's one instance, and it might seem that four years is a long time to wait, but if you scale this, that's when you get repeatability. And this is the trick of retention. If you continue to provide value, you're not going to get an upsell from every single customer every single month, but you will build enough scale of demonstrating the value that you'll have that cycle of upsells happening on an iterative basis. So it means that every single month you're operating, you're getting upsells. Well, I reckon not only that, you'll probably get advocates and free marketing or free salespeople. Just the word of mouth that would go out would be it's, incredible. It's true. So you take a Mason for an example. They have the lowest CAC in the entire telco industry in Australia. You go and look at some of their old financial reports before they were acquired by Optus. What they did is they found a way that their retention empowered their customers to be their biggest marketing engine. And as a result, they didn't have to spend as much telling people about who they are or what they did because their customers were doing it for them. And by the way, the customers were paying them for the right to do that. <laughs> Sounds kind of perfect, it's doesn't good, it? It's isn't it? I, I, I love it. <laughs> now, the interesting thing about all of this is how do you demonstrate value? Right? If you take the step back, it's not just about guessing. And this is where the companies who have cottoned on to the fact that if you reiterate value, a lot of them miss the fact on providing the right value. And this is where feedback loops come into place. I see this time and time again, and it hasn't yet hit SMEs yet, and it will. But right now in you know, the enterprise land, these companies are spending phenomenal amounts of money on AI and machine learning, right? To try and understand what do their customers want? Why are they leaving me? How will they spend more? Where will new ones appear? All these really broad questions that are hugely valuable. If I'm sitting there and I'm the CEO of a large telecommunication company, and I know why customers are leaving me, I can change that and then they won't leave me anymore. Or if I know what customers want to buy, I can provide that to them and they'll buy it. So if you are sitting there trying to guess, you're doing the wrong thing. And I always love to use the analogy of people who have got a young family. You sit there and particularly ones whose kids can actually speak, it's a little bit harder if they can't. If when you were a father or a mother, 
and your kids were not yet speaking. You had no idea what they wanted. You just assumed they were hungry or tired. That was binary. It was like one of those two things. Couldn't be anything else. But then as your kids get a little bit older, they can tell you, right? And what is that? It's a feedback loop, right? If your daughter or your son comes running to you and is crying, the first thing you ask is, what's wrong? You don't just start putting Band-Aids on them and just assume that that is what is right. And that's what companies are doing. They're analyzing in the background and not speaking to the customer and they're just whacking Band-Aids on. So the answer here to how do you demonstrate value properly is to ask your customers. And it's such a simple question. People are, are almost afraid to say it. Use that real estate example. I've just sold your house for you. People say, congratulations, I'm so happy, but they miss one thing. How do I remind you that of all the value that I've provided you? Is it that I send you a bottle of champagne every year? Do you want me to keep you abreast of the housing market? Can I share with you pricing? And do you want me to check in in two years' time or once every year just to see how things are going? What can I do to demonstrate that I am the person for when you go and sell your house again? When you're that direct, do they respond with the truth? We do it all the time. You've got to ask someone with some options. You can't just say, how can I help you? Because this is a cultural thing. If you ask an Australian or any permanent resident in Australia how you can help service them better, just the, the cultural nature of our country says, no, no, I'm all good, mate. She's all right. Don't worry. <laughs> She'll be right. Yep. She'll be right. Yeah. yeah. I don't need any help. But yeah. if you made them an offer saying, well, what if I did this for you? Then people go, well, wow. Yeah, that would be really valuable. Mm-hmm. And as a result on that, you've then got that feedback. Now, we do this at scale with telcos and energy companies and software businesses and banks. And if we can do that at scale, any small business can do it much more effectively than we can. And the reason for that is they don't have to worry about the inherent cost of trying to scale this across million consumers. So if you're a small or medium business, what have you actually got that a telco doesn't have? You've got a personal relationship with your customers. Now, if you have a personal relationship with your customers, tell you what, you've got a much better chance of getting effective feedback out of those customers than if you just get a text message or an email from us. Do you think where small business have, let's say, not thousands of customers, but hundreds of them, will they want to hear from them in a phone call? Or if you did go through a text message or an email type of way of asking for the feedback, would that work? There's no single answer to this. The key thing is engaging with people in the most appropriate channel. Now saying that, I think SMSing is a fantastic channel. Actually, as a matter of fact, we have our CRO in our business, Chief Revenue Officer, for those who aren't familiar with the acronym, his qualification of if you have a champion who you're selling to is if you're on a texting basis with them. If you're not texting with them, you don't have the relationship. If they'll email with you, yeah, you've got a relationship, but they don't have the same relationship. That's a really powerful thing, but it's also relative. If I'm a professional services business where advice is your product, text message may not be the best channel. A phone call probably is because the conveyance of information is the value that you're providing. Mm. I don't want to distill that. It really depends on who you are and what service you're providing and what relationship you have with your customers as to what the most effective thing is. Now, the more integral your service is to someone's life, And be real, look at yourself in the mirror and and think about what they're thinking, not what you're thinking. How valuable your service in your life will probably dictate how direct you can engage with them. If you're someone's doctor, a phone call is what they want. If you're someone's telecommunications provider, they don't want a phone call. They just want a text message or an email. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I was just thinking about automation component of this. You know, when you go onto a website, you see the little bot that comes up and says, ask me anything and talk to me. Tell us about the Pendula technology. Obviously, you've got the workflows and you probably create different text messages to go to different people on different occasions and all the rest of it. 
What happens if the guy re- responds back? Because sometimes you get these text messages, don't respond back, not this number, blah, blah, blah. Let's say I'm like an offer goes through and it's not like click this button to get the offer, but it's like respond yes. Or can you mm. actually communicate on text and does Pendula go and read it and then automatically respond? Is that functionality even available? How does that work? Sounds actually next level, but do you already solve that or do you already yeah. do that? Our platform can do that. Now, there are limitations. There's a, a famous saying that the first rules of any chatbot, which is what these technologies are, are colloquially referred to as, is to not pretend to be a person. Identify as, as a machine because you're not a person. A person can identify as a person and a machine can identify as a machine. <laughs> sure, if you're a person, maybe you can identify as a machine, but the customer experience normally is diluted when it's a machine interacting. So what that means is we can cover off a very large amount of use cases, but we can't handle the exceptions. And let's use an example here. So if I ask you if you want to upgrade, and you could say yes a thousand different ways, we'll understand Uh, that. But if we ask you if you want to upgrade and you respond back and say banana, which has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about, then we're going to sit there and go, whoa, we don't know anything about what you're talking about. (laughs) Now, maybe it's a new TikTok trend or something that banana means yes or something. (laughs) Our platform is designed in a way that our customers are training it to do things. Now, we're a little bit more direct than those ones you see on a website, which means that effectively you could ask Pendula less things and it will be correct. And the reason for that is we charge credit cards when you say yes. So we want to be really sure that when you say yes, that you actually mean yes. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Some of those website chatbots are designed to be more broad, right? They want to be able to answer as many questions as possible and be wrong a few times. We want to answer a smaller number of questions and be right a lot more of the time. Can you give us some stats? Because I just want to relate it back to our SMEs that don't focus on their customer retention or even communicating to customers and focusing on the selling and the lifetime value of the existing customer. Tell me a stat of a client, and I know they're large corporates, but what were their conversion rates or upsells or their stats pre-Pendula? And then you import Pendula into their system, into their workflows, the feedback loops are happening and all that. What's the uplift that that customer got? And you don't need to give away who they are. It's a fair question. There's kind of two buckets of stats that I can give. So first, let's start with Pendula-specific stats, and then we can talk about just retention generic stats. So Pendula-specific ones, two core things that we love and we focus on these core stats. It's part of our entire business. Every business case that we write is related to these two stats in some way or form. So the first one is your churn rate. Put really simply, it is the number of customers and the volume of revenue that is leaving your business on a monthly, quarterly, annually basis. When you plug in Pendula at a telco, we will move it not by 10%, but by 10 percentage points. Wow. So if you had a churn rate of 22%, your new churn rate will be 12% post pendulum. That's pretty phenomenal. And, you know, when we had those kind of results coming through, you know, of course, we were ecstatic for our customers, really curious as to how it was, I mean, it outperformed our expectations. It is important to note that it is not just Pendulum alone that is driving that. It is our customers driving excellent offers and also providing excellent services that we can then go and demonstrate the value of. If there is a really crap product or a really crap service there, it's hard to demonstrate the value. Yeah, That's from a a renewal perspective. From a cross-selling and upselling perspective, we have an effect of increasing your conversion rate by about 22%. 
Now, if you think about the scheme of things, if you apply a tool like Pendular in a mid-scale telco or a mid-scale energy business, the ROI you'll receive over a 12-month period will be somewhere in the realm of 5 to $9 million. So it's a pretty substantial return on investment you can get. The exciting thing about our platform is it scales all the way down to the small ones. You won't get the same weight, but you will get the same scale in a smaller business. So that's really exciting for us. And it also demonstrates how receptive consumers are in today's retail service product environment as to how open they are to providing feedback and how open they are to realizing value. Loyalty can be acquired and it is acquired through listening and reacting and actioning the needs of your customer. That's kind of your Angela's stats. From a broader retention stat, and this is the case, if you're an SME business who is focused on one-to-one interactions with your customers, because you're at that, you've got higher value, lower volume customer base, your cost to find a new customer instead of selling to an existing one is about five to six times. So we spoke about earlier, the cost of letting someone know who you are and what you do. That cost compared to telling them that you do something else is five to six times more expensive. I mean, that in itself economically makes so much sense to go and do it. From effectively a conversion rate for an upsell, that's on that, that effectively applies a three times multiplier on the value that you'll get out of it. The next thing then is if you're trying to look at external valuations, any business, if your existing customer base has a net rate of retention, and let's just explore what net rate of retention is. Net rate of retention is effectively, if you look back at 2020, look at every customer that you had in 2020 and how much they spent in 2020, how much did they spend in 2022? That comparison is your net rate of retention. Because if they spent $100 in 2020 and that same cohort spent $110 in 2022, that means that they've spent 110%. Now, if you're a services business, if your net rate of retention can be greater than 30%, you are laughing. Now, if you focus on the first stat of selling to your existing one, your net rate of retention will be greater than that. And your valuation multipliers will normally be four to five times greater than if they weren't. So if you're a builder and you are selling to the same people again and again and again and again, what does it demonstrate? It demonstrates that you have sustainability and scalability within your model. And you're not the reason why that those revenues exist. It's the business. And that's the valuation dilution of every business is that if the founder leaves, the company's worth nothing. Correct. <laughs> you can demonstrate through retention in our R rate, you dilute that argument. Your business will be worth so much more. A great example of that, use the accounting example, what's the difference between a small one and a big one like a Deloitte? Deloitte is not bound by relationships like that. A customer will stay with Deloitte for Deloitte, not because of a certain partner, with the exceptions of the excellent partners that I'm sure it will. <laughs> Last stat, which is a really, really interesting one. Your interaction rates with your customers compared to a cold prospect. So we spoke about that phone call before. If Telstra called you, as a customer, if they called you as a net new prospect yep. that was thinking of buying, your likely pickup, if you are a new brand new prospect, three to 4%, pick up the phone book right now, call someone. After you call 100 people, three of them will probably pick up and have a conversation with you. Customer pickup rates are about 70%. All the time that you're spending interacting in your selling activities is actually spent selling. It's not spent trying to connect. 
So you put those three things together and you end up in a place where your business is going to be more valuable. It's going to generate more revenue and it's going to cost less to run. I don't know how you can sell retention any harder than that. You've articulated so well. I think our listeners are going to listen to this and go and run into the office and speak to either their marketing or sales department and say, what are we doing about retention? Because simple things go a long way. Adding value like you articulated and talking to your existing customers is easy. They're there. They're already engaged. There must have been something you did right for them to be with you. So why are we not engaging them? And I think you've definitely articulated that businesses all around Australia have to focus on that. And we could talk about this all day, Alex. It's just such an exciting area of success and what makes businesses successful. And and I think Pendula are doing amazing things. But oh, before my last question with Pendula, you talked about Salesforce and I'm assuming some form of plugin or interaction with Salesforce. Do you actually have a service offering to sort of a smaller company or an SME or, or is your target clients, thousands of clients, ERP? We do. It is a slightly scaled down version of the platform. So we can integrate to things like zero. Okay. Right now, the key thing here is it only generally works when you have a relatively large customer base. And let's talk about relatively large. If you have more than 500 customers, you're probably getting to the point where there is enough scale that it justifies automation to demonstrate the value to your customers. We do scale down that far, but I always urge caution with a lot of these startups and smaller SME businesses who are running this, software is not always the answer. You need to solve your business processes and your culture because the first thing that is going to permeate out through a mass communication platform like Pendula is your culture. And if your culture is not retention focused, the customer will feel that and they're not going to be inclined to be very <laughs> towards it. It certainly can go that far. There's plenty of information on our website. It's something that we will always assess and something that we're very proud about because as a retention company, we are very much focused on our customers retaining within our own customer base. And as a result in that, we're very careful who we select as our customers. We don't want to ever sell our product to someone who is not going to value it. And as a result in that, we want to make sure that they actually understand what it means, how it works and how it moves. Definitely easy at the enterprise space because all of them need it. SMEs are different because they might have different relationships there. So if there are questions, there's plenty of people who can help on Pendula to see how they might be able to help anyone with their scale problems. But ultimately, it comes from an internal place initially before it then becomes about scaling and pushing it across a more of an automated fashion across your customer base. Awesome. And on that note, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I wish you and the whole Pendula team all the best for the rest of the year. So thank you so much, Alex. Great. Thanks, Ivan. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business.
And that's the bottom line.